Hello and welcome to the Royal Central podcast from royalcentral.co.uk. I'm Lydia Starbuck, news editor. I'm Brittany Barger and I'm the deputy editor. I'm Kristen Contino and I'm chief reporter. I'm Jess Isles, senior royal reporter and editorial assistant. I'm Jessica Storschuk and I'm a reporter. And this is a special Royal Central podcast all about royal weddings, in particular royal wedding dresses, because all of us a few weeks ago were lucky enough to be able to take part in a special presentation by the Royal Collection Trust all about the history of royal wedding dresses. They went all the way back to the 18th century and we enjoyed it so much we thought we would have a chat about it. And there's certainly plenty to keep us talking, over 200 years worth of royal fashion. And Jessica, you wrote a piece for Royal Central all about it. What was the standout? dress for you in all of those amazing examples that were shown to us? I think for me, the standout example was probably Queen Alexandra's because I saw it in Bath for the Royal Women exhibition and it gets forgotten with all the modern royal wedding dresses that have come since that we've seen on TV and weddings that we watched live. But she was one of the like original royal fashion trendsetters. So I love that they dug into hers and didn't just stick with the modern dresses. And I would have loved her dress. She actually dyed it and rewore it. So I would have loved them to go a bit into its second life. But I still thought it was beautiful. And I was so glad that they included it. Yeah, like you say, it's one that we don't hear that much about because lots of people talk about Queen Victoria's wedding dress and the talk was held to coincide with Victoria's wedding anniversary. I can't remember how many years exactly it was since she married Prince Albert, but that's what they were celebrating. But there was a huge range of dresses and that kind of Victorian element became very important, didn't it? Because they were talking about how the Victorians kind of shaped the concept of royal wedding dresses for Britain's royal family. Yeah, and I did like how they wove that through and they looked at the cyclicity of fashion and how we see elements and inspirations of Victoria's dress. I mean, everyone does. If you wore a white wedding dress, you were somehow inspired by her. But I think that they did an excellent job, especially tying in with the Duchess of Cambridge's wedding dress. I think they tied those together really well, Victoria and Alexandra and the Duchess of Cambridge with the McQueen styling and the elements looking back. Because I think with um, Catherine's wedding dress, everyone goes to Grace Kelly and there are absolutely comparisons and we can see connections. But I think it does harken back more to Alexandra's and Victoria's wedding dresses. Jess, I know you've written quite a lot for Royal Central about Kate's wedding dress. And when we've picked out our favourites, everyone squabbles over who gets to put Kate first on the list because it is one of those (laughs) all time favourite wedding dresses. But were you surprised at those links with Victoria? Because as we talked about, everyone mentions Grace as an inspiration for Kate. But actually, it kind of seemed to figure more into this longer strand of British history. For sure. And it, it wasn't really an angle I had considered much. Um, the link between Kate and Victoria, I mean, the needlework and the lace is obviously beautiful. But in my mind, I go to Princess Margaret, the silhouette and the, the neckline. So I really enjoyed seeing the links between that and seeing, like Jessica said, how cyclical it is. Um, and I also really liked how they talked about Norman Hartnell because I don't think he's somebody who's appreciated a lot outside of the royal sphere. Um, So just to highlight his contribution to the the history of British royal wedding dresses was a really good addition, I thought. 
Yeah, because he was responsible for Margaret's and for the Queen, for so many of the dresses that have become iconic. What's so special about Margaret's dress for you? Because it is it's such a stunning dress to look at, but it, there's something just magical about it, really. Yeah, I think, well, part of it's the woman and the the personality behind Margaret, but it's also such a departure. Like the lecturers said, she didn't really have lace or any of the detailing that the other dresses that had come before her did. It was mostly plain, I think, compared to the others. But just so striking, that's the thing. Just so striking, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, Kristen? A lot of these dresses we're talking about, as soon as you say the woman who wore them, you've got this vision of what the dress is like in your mind, but you forget just how symbolic every single part of the gown is. There's a meaning to everything, whereas we just think of the silhouette. Yes, exactly. And I think it's interesting, like Jessica said, when they were showing, you know, some of the older dresses, like you don't necessarily imagine Queen Alexandra when you see that dress, for example. I think, you know, with the older ones, you don't have that image. I mean, you see the dress and it's instantly them as you do with the more modern ones. But I like that they're trying to, you know, connect these women's also to their dresses. So you can try to imagine them more, you know, with Catherine, you see her dress and it's instantly, it's like, you know, a symbol of her. Um, And like you pointed out with Margaret, what I thought was interesting, and I never really made that connection myself, even though I've seen her dress in person with Megan's, Hers was, I think, a bit inspired by Margaret in the sense that it was very plain. I mean, it's just, you know, satin, simple, there's no lace, there's no anything on it. Um, And Margaret's is, you know, a more dramatic silhouette. But Megan's, I guess I never in my head made that connection until I was looking, you know, at this talk that hers is actually very similar. And that was one of the things they brought out in the talk, wasn't it? These these constant links all the way through history that you think a dress is unique or it's a completely fresh take, but actually yeah. it's part of a long story. Definitely. And Megan's dress in particular, um, I, I saw it you know, on the day in Windsor, but also when I was at the Palace of Holyrood House when they had her dress on display. And I didn't know until this talk that they said it only has six seams, which I found really interesting. Because you think of, you know, this complex garment and I mean, how do you make a dress like that with six seams? That's crazy. But it's, you know, it is very simple and admittedly, it's not my favorite royal wedding dress, but the veil is so intricately detailed. And I spent so much time looking at that veil. I mean, my kid was running away like this sucks. Like, this is boring. (laughs) And I was... uh, you know, staring at the veil because it just has so, I mean, the flowers, you know, representing all the Commonwealth countries and they all have a personal meaning. Um, Just that lace was just so beautiful. And there's a lot to look at there, which is a shame because you can't see that on TV um, necessarily, or even, you know, in photos as much, unless, you know, you're seeing the very close up. But I thought that was, you know, such a nice detail. And you mentioned, uh, Jess mentioned Norman Hartnell. Brittany, you covered Princess Beatrice's choice of wedding dress, which again surprised everyone because Norman Hartnell became a royal wedding dress designer many years after he'd actually died. But again, that was a surprising dress. And like Kristen was just saying, you kind of have to really study it to appreciate how it was transformed into a wedding dress. Yeah, obviously it was a dress that her grandmother, the Queen, had worn decades before, which was a sentimental and a sweet touch it, it was definitely not my not a dress I would have chosen as a wedding dress but it's not my wedding it's so it that's not what's important but the, the way they made the dress 
so that it looked like a wedding dress. And I recently learned that whatever they add, everything they added, like they added the length to the dress and everything in the little parts to the sleeves, that all is removable. So the dress can go back to its original form, which was nice that they, they didn't make anything to the point where the original dress could not, it could not be returned to the original dress. Because, I mean, like, the designer is such an important historical figure for royal fashion. So this dress is, you know, a historical piece because the the queen wore it. Was it to a play, maybe? I I can't remember exactly what she wore it to. Um, I think it was a premiere, wasn't there, and a state dinner. It was worn a few times mm -hmm. in the 60s and mm -hmm. then disappeared. Yeah. So, you know, overall, I think with the dresses in general, like Kristen was saying, you know, you have to compare with the, the the new person and then looking back at history and a lot of times you don't realize the connections but obviously with this one we did because it came out right then you know that she had borrowed a dress from her grandmother and even wore the same tiara that her grandmother wore at her wedding which was really a nice touch because Beatrice didn't get the wedding that had been planned because of the virus everything was scaled down for her um there were only a handful of people there and that 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 was sad because Everybody, every girl dreams of their own royal wedding in in some form, and there she was in this tiny church with just her grandparents and parents and sister and you know his family. So it wasn't it wasn't what had originally been planned because COVID had taken over the world, unfortunately. It had, and it it was a shame for Beatrice, but she did have those special family links. And one thing that was highlighted in the talk, Norman Hartnell, was how British designers became very, very important for British wedding dresses. And Jessica, that's something you brought out for your piece on royalcentral.co.uk, that actually these dresses weren't just wedding dresses. They almost became like a selling point for British fashion. Oh, they absolutely are. And I think Victoria is really the big person to kind of start this trend because for her wedding dress she wanted all British materials and everything made in Britain and it was a massive boost to the Spitalfields silk industry and so many makers and I think it's interesting when we look back kind of I'd say before Queen Elizabeth who would be the Queen Mother we don't really know the names of many designers other than Worth is the big one that pops up for everyone. But no one, most people can't name Queen Victoria or Queen Alexandra's uh, wedding dress makers. But British fashion as a whole got a boost. And then in the 20th and I guess now 21st century, we see a boost to specific designers and other designers as well. Um, but it is a very firm selling point. And even with um, the Duchess of Sussex on her wedding day, I do remember some people saying, oh, um, it's not an English or British fashion house, Givenchy, um, which actually he was born today. But it wasn't, it was a French fashion house, but Claire Waite Keller what is a British designer. So they tied it in that way. And I think that was a good way to tie it in. Um, but yes, it's always seen as this very patriotic boost. And I think that we see it the most with Victoria and Princess Elizabeth, future Queen Elizabeth II, especially with post-war sentiments. Um, 
And we all know the famous story of people sending in their rationing coupons to her. um, And she had to return them because everyone wanted her to have the best possible dress. Um, So I think the political weight and the economic weight of royal wedding dresses in Britain particularly is something that people like to brush off. But it is a very important aspect. And it's an aspect that's kind of been replicated across Europe now because Brittany, we know, loves the Swedish royal family. But um, Crown Princess Victoria didn't really have any option, did she, when she came to pick her dress designer? She couldn't just do what her mum did and hop over to Paris. By then, there was a pressure for royal houses to support their own homegrown fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she picked a Swedish house um, and then Madeline was the next to get married. Um, She did not did not pick a Swedish fashion house. Um, She went with an Italian house. um, So she kind of broke with the the mold, but she was not the heir to the throne. So it didn't didn't matter as much. But when Sophia married into the family, um, just a couple of years after that, she did choose um, a Swedish Swedish designer. So um, and. Victoria in general is big on just promoting Swedish fashion. So she's kind of like the Kate of Sweden. She um, is big on H&M, which is a Swedish brand um, and other Swedish brands. And it really does help bring attention to those brands and Swedish fashion industry. She just recently opened up um, the digital Fashion Week, and she even spoke about how Sweden's fashion industry is an example to the world because of their sustainability and how they've been handling the pandemic and also just climate change and situations like that. Now, there were loads of dresses in this talk. It was kind of like being let loose in a sweet shop and then feeling slightly sick at the end of it because there was so much candy there to gobble up. But they missed a few dresses, Kristin. Was there any dress that you really wanted to see that wasn't there? Hmm. I didn't see you, Denise. I understand why they chose Beatrice's because hers, you know, was the most recent, but also, you know, the tie with the queen. And that was an interesting story in itself. Um, But Eugenie's, I thought, was just a gorgeous dress, but also it had that message to it since she chose it specifically with a low back so people could see her scoliosis scar. And I thought, I mean, I also have scoliosis so that personally for me I thought was wonderful um, and I think it inspired a lot of young girls and you know women especially around the world who do also you know suffer with that but it just you know in general was a really beautifully constructed dress and I would have liked to hear a little more about it so yeah I was disappointed um, that they didn't show that. One thing I would have liked to have seen more, and I don't know if Jess agrees with me, was the tiaras, because we've mentioned Beatrice's famous borrow from the Queen. But it's almost part of the royal wedding look, isn't it? Now you kind of you get the dress, but you want the tiara as well. And so you kind of for me, it's part of part of the outfit. For sure. I would have loved to have seen the tiaras um, on display and to learn a little bit more about maybe insight into why the brides chose them or why those were the ones selected for them. I really liked Eugenie's tiara. I think if I look at all of the royal wedding looks throughout history, just that stunning emerald tiara. And it makes you wonder what else is hidden away that we haven't seen yet in the vaults <laughs> and if we'll ever see them. But yeah, I really loved the the royal wedding, like the whole look and seeing how it all comes together. And even like, I would have loved to have known why they chose the flowers they did or 
like why they chose the specific things on their lace and to be embroidered onto their gowns. Like we know that Megan chose all of the flowers from the Commonwealth and for California, but was there any symbolism behind what Kate chose or what Diana chose or what the queen chose? Um, and I, they, they didn't talk about Sarah, I don't think. I don't remember if they talked about her dress, but didn't she have bumblebees and the letter A and everything stitched yeah. onto her dress? So, yeah, it's really interesting to me how all those little pieces of symbolism come together to really represent the bride. Yeah, because as Jessica said, obviously the, the nationality of the designer became important, but there is all of that kind of graphic representation of royal dynasties on the dresses it's almost too much to take in when you first see the bride walk into to the church you need months and years to kind of savor it all for sure yeah when I I saw an exhibit for the crown so obviously it wasn't the real dress but um I live close to Philadelphia and in Delaware they have this historic estate and they had a uh, crown fashion exhibition and so I got to see Elizabeth's dress that they used, you know, on the show, which, you know, obviously was an exact copy or as close to, you know, exact copy of her wedding dress. And it was funny seeing it in person because the queen's wedding dress, I don't think in pictures you can really get like an idea of how intricate it is and like this beadwork and all of it on there, the appliques, like in person, it looks so different than it does in photos. And I was kind of blown away, even though it's not her real dress. I mean, it's basically, I'm sure, as close as I'll get to seeing her real dress because I don't think they're going to be putting that on display again. Or, I mean, I think I've heard that, you know, just because of the age. I mean, Jessica, you might know better. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think that I'll probably ever see that one on display. So, yeah, it was cool to see it, you know, at least the crown version of it. Probably not, um, just because of all the light and everything it would have to go through in the exhibition like they could probably physically do it but I don't know that like we all need light to see it that's why fashion exhibitions are often quite dark so you'd have to be in like near darkness to be allowed in there and then we couldn't see everything (laughs) I know which is a shame like I think of all these garments that they have but you know probably just because of care and you know not wanting to destroy it probably will never go on exhibition because didn't Wallace Simpson's dress famously change color after it was put on display all the time yes it was blue it's not anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was gonna say when they brought out that picture they were like yeah it's blue that's not blue (laughs) it's yellow (laughs) proof of why the light is important yeah. Because one thing at the end of the talk, everyone was saying, wouldn't it be amazing to have all of these dresses on display at the same time? And it would. And I expect there would be a queue round Windsor Castle four times over once we're all allowed to stand next to one another again, which hopefully will be sooner than we expect. But we forget these are historical artifacts as well, aren't they? And this was something that was brought out in the talk. We see them as a dress. We see it as a picture. We see it as something to enjoy. But actually, they're part of history. They are. And... Um, the one aspect that they discussed that I thought was interesting is that some of them are still privately owned. So I'm guessing that might be why one of the reasons why, other than just time limits, that we didn't see Eugenie's, um, because 
she probably owns that dress. I don't know, especially with her being very pregnant at the time. I don't know that she was concerned with getting her dress to Windsor for a talk. Um, but I, I thought that was an interesting point also to them because, and as just as an historian, they are historical artifacts and that's why the Royal Collection Trust has so many of them, but they're also personal pieces of history for them. So I know everyone kind of feels like, for example, they kind of own the Duchess of Cambridge's wedding dress because we all remember watching it and seeing the wedding and being there or being there watching it wherever we are, but it's also her wedding gown. And it's a probably a very important part of her personal history. So I like that they delved into that a little bit. So do you think it's time, anyone, that we made these personal items public property? We all we all see them. We all look at them. We all think we know them inside out. Should they just be tucked away in a museum for us all to enjoy whenever we want? That's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the selfish part of me says yes, so I can go see the wedding dresses any time, but in reality this is their personal history like jessica was saying you know that this is their wedding dresses they this is what they chose to walk down the aisle to marry the love of their life they helped design them should we should we take that away from them to where it's always on display but yet at the same time otherwise it's going to be sitting in a closet somewhere but still i'm like in, in the case of the duchess of cambridge we all remember being little girls and seeing our mom's wedding dress in the closet and wanting to try it on and all that. I don't know that Kate is going to go and allow Charlotte to try it on when she's older. Who knows? But, (laughs) you know, those are the moments we all remember in, in, I'm sure Catherine remembers doing something similar when she was younger with her mom's dress. So, you know, we have to remember these are people too and they have families and while they are public figures, not, not every bit of their lives are owed to us. I do think that many of the main people, like the Duchess of Cambridge, she's going to be the future Queen of England. I think it's going to end up there if it's not already. I don't believe it's in the Royal Collection Trust yet. I think it'll end up there. But I do wonder if wedding dresses in particular will be given to the Royal Collection Trust because we do see even with Margaret and Diana that their clothing is auctioned off and sold, but wedding dresses are kind of different. They have that very emotional and important weight to them that other garments don't. So I do wonder, it's also like, it's the best possible way to memorialize your loved one's wedding is no one better to care for it than the Royal Collection Trust. So I think most of them will end up there now. That's my guess. Um, just because they do sell them for sell garments for various reasons. Um, Sometimes they need the money, sometimes to raise money for different causes. But I think a lot of them will end up there anyways. And that kind of brings us to a final point, because one other thing they highlighted in the talk was the way that Beatrice had kind of made royal recycling the focus of her wedding by using a dress that the queen had worn several times before so say in a fantasy world all of these dresses end up tucked away in the royal collection trust which one royal wedding dress would you like to see recycled again in the future let's dress like princess charlotte or a future royal bride which dress would you love to see brought out and used again it's a tricky one isn't it I mean, I have ones, I would say, but I don't see them ever taking them apart. I mean, Kate's dress 
I mean, like Jessica said, she's going to be the future queen. I don't see them touching that dress. I mean, that's not unless in its entire, you know, form as it is now. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I see that happening with any of them. I think with Beatrice, I mean, her dress, it wasn't a wedding dress. It was just a gown that was worn for a formal occasion. So I think that would be more likely to see maybe an evening gown repurposed as a wedding dress versus any of these iconic dresses being used again. I'm going to take Jess's side. I'd love to see Margaret's dress reworn. I know her daughter-in-law, Serena, kind of wore a dress inspired by Margaret's, but it wasn't exactly the same. The dress obviously was shaped to suit Margaret's height, which was quite small. But I, I just think the proportions of it are so beautiful. I would love to see it reworn at some point. I agree. I'm a huge Hartnell fangirl. I've always loved Hartnell and he is very underrated. Although I disagree with um, the woman in the talk who said that no one really appreciates Hartnell because there are a lot of people who appreciate Hartnell. But Margaret's wedding dress is so stunning. And I would love to see that shape done again. And I think it is one of the more timeless gowns that isn't as easily dated. So I could see, I don't know that they would take her physical dress, but I would love to see that shape and that pattern done again, um, be it in her family line or another one. Even if they can't take the dress itself to rewear, um, they can always take the veil, for instance, in the future if when charlotte gets married if she wants to wear the veil that her mom wore i think that would be you know a really nice touch but also a way of recycling um in sweden that's what they've done um with with veils victoria wore the same veil that her mother wore back in 30 something years before um so that's always an option you don't have to exactly recycle and rewear the actual dress you can recycle the veil for instance and it's still part of the dress that's being reworn and out there again and in Megan's case it's such an intricate veil if she was to have a daughter that ever got married I mean that would be just a beautiful veil that would get to see the light of day again well, there's lots more about royal weddings and royal wedding dresses over on our site, royalcentral.co.uk. Thank you for spending your time with us on this podcast. We'll have another one for you, we hope, very soon. But in the meantime, we'll say thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you. Bye.